0: We have a great guest this week on the Art Dealer Diaries, Larry Kansler. And if you ever wondered what Michael Jackson, Dick Lutan, and the Smothers Brothers have in common, well, listen to this one, and you're going to find out a lot more than that. Larry's had a long career as a producer, composer, and actually did one of the most famous songs of the 70s, Wildfire. So sit back and listen to Larry talk about what Hollywood's like as well as being an artist. Larry, thank you for dressing up today. I know that
1: <laughs> as a retiree, that, <laughs> that it's this hard to put on This is one of her... my
2: nicer t-shirts. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of hurt. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. You're right. It is one of your nicer you t-shirts. And I've seen a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that your wife will be very pleased. When oh, yeah. Oh, she's going to be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. You
2: know? I should have brought, uh, brought my uh, Mark Sublet Appreciation Week
0: shirt you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> or one of my hats? Do you have my, do you no, have one of your hats? I don't have. No, no. You get a hat. Cool. Today you actually get a medicine All right, this is my lucky day. And and I won't even make you pay for it. Oh, I'll pay eventually. (laughs) You're paying right now. (laughs) Yeah, right, of course. So we have Larry Kanzler today on the Art Dealer Diaries, and um, Larry's really, you're an interesting cat, I got to tell you. That's what I hear. Yeah, no, on many (laughs) levels, from an art standpoint, from a music standpoint, flying, I mean, when you think of a Renaissance man I kind of really you're kind of fit that bill and I think people will enjoy hearing some of the stuff that I was shocked when I first met you in the gym right uh, that well I wasn't so shocked that you were in the gym but that you had such a, an interesting career maybe you can just tell me the start I mean it starts in Texas right
2: yeah I'm originally from uh, Texas a little place called Deer Park uh, mm-hmm. close to the oil refineries around Houston, so I grew up in that environment. Thus and the sound of your voice. Yeah, that, uh, howdy, that, yeah, that not sort not of thing <laughs> sort of creeps like in, it. you yeah, know, you should hear it after a couple of beers, it's really there, you <laughs> know. But uh, I uh, I started playing the accordion when I was eight years old, and just fell in love with it, mm. Uh, I was always uh, around airplanes. I was always, you know, hung up on that sort of thing and just uh, had a great childhood and but really got more and more into music as years went by.
0: So Why, why the accordion, actually? I mean, just uh, curious. It's such an odd My mother
2: instrument. Uh, went to high school with an accordion player uh-huh. who ended up being in a group called uh, what was it? Uh, the Riders of the Purple Sage, and they were Gene Autry's
0: band. Oh, I know the Riders of the Purple. Sage. So she, heard them. she
2: just thought that was the coolest thing yeah. ever, and uh, she convinced me that he was a cowboy, uh-huh. and being a Texan, that cowboys a big deal for a young guy. Right. So I went, wow, if he, you know, if cowboys play the accordion, so can I. So right. <laughs> that's
0: that's what happened. And so when you went in, you went to college in Canyon. No, At, uh, uh, North Texas, North Texas. Denton Denton Texas, Texas, yeah. And were you a uh, you're a music major? Right. Specifically though, your interest was composition, right?
2: Composition, uh, basically jazz. <clears throat> I got into jazz uh, in my early teens. Mm-hmm. I started listening to when everybody was listening to Elvis. I was listening to Miles Davis, and wow. Dave Brubeck, and mm-hmm. Stan Kenton, <clears throat> who I later wrote for. And uh, so I was already into that, and I could have cared less about pop music. So uh, North Texas.
0: This was early
2: '62. Uh, oh no, no, uh, uh, late '50s. Oh wow! I went to North. you old. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm getting older every <coughs> minute. Uh, and uh, I started North Texas in September of
0: 1958.
2: Yeah. So. Uh,
0: and so you got a degree in composition. I
2: never graduated. I just went there and took all the music courses right. I could and left. So Well
0: you left and you had to you did a military stint because it was the time, right? Well and yeah. I, I went
2: in I joined the army
0: reserves. Right. because uh, that was sixty four ish? Uh no, more like sixty two. Oh, I even earlier. Yeah, yeah
2: it's before Vietnam. Yep.
0: And uh, and so you finished so you you go to school, you get basically a degree, maybe not the actual one, but mm-hmm. you learned all you could about composition, which they must have thought was odd, a little bit odd what you wanted to do, because you wanted to go to California, right? Is yeah,
2: that? I, uh, early on, wanted to, I was just taken by uh, showbiz, mm-hmm. you know, and I just loved the ideas, movies and television, and, mm-hmm. and also, you know, by this time, I was really serious about uh, writing jazz, mm-hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> and at north texas not only did we have an excellent jazz department at the time it was just about the only one in the country but we had a magnificent uh composition teacher dr Mm -hmm. samuel adler who ended up being the composition teacher at at juilliard wow so he got me into the classical side Mm -hmm. and so i was already writing for brass and saxophones but he got me into woodwinds and strings and I started studying counterpoint and traditional orchestration mm-hmm. and that just opened up a whole world for me so.
0: One teacher. It's amazing I think that whether it's a music teacher or an art teacher somebody that really mentors you can make a huge difference. Sounds oh like absolutely. Did they can case.
2: open the door sometime yeah. and that's what happened. I was very for. in fact my first accordion teacher was uh, one of the greatest. He, uh, he and his partner, uh, his name was uh, Bill Palmer, uh-huh. and his partner was Bill Hughes, and they wrote the uh, Palmer Hughes Accordion Method, which is pl- all over the world. One of so, my favorites. I oh, well, I'm sure
1: everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but so <laughs> when
2: I was in high school, I was already studying college level music theory <clears> because <throat> of these uh, both of these guys were professors at the
0: University of Houston as well. So I really had a break there. <clears throat> and so you took that training, yeah. and then you go, and you did your military stand, and then you right. went directly out to L.A.? Uh, yeah, on and off. I, I went on the road briefly with a few
2: bands. Uh-huh. Uh, I, worked, I did write a couple of things for Stan Kenton. Mm-hmm. Then I was on the road with the Cy Orchestra. But just started working my way out to Los Angeles, because that was my goal, was to get in the studios.
0: And what did you want to do there when you got to L.A.? What was your goal? just wanted to write. Did you, I did you like a say, oh, I'm going to do uh, television or commercials? Well, at
2: that point, you're just more concerned with, first of all, making a living. Yeah, it's a rough town. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, you know. So uh, uh, the musicians used to say it's a seven-year town. I beat it by one year. I started eating after six.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, and you... But you also worked for some, you, you did some interesting stuff with, like, Michael Jackson, right?
2: Well, Michael Jackson, but uh, my first break, in a sense, in L.A. was I ran into a, a friend of mine from uh, Houston, uh-huh. a bass player named Kenny Rogers.
1: Oh, uh-huh, And
2: he had just uh, formed, along with Terry Williams, had formed the first edition.
1: Uh-huh. And by
2: this time, I had my first big band, and we were working weekly at a jazz club in North Hollywood called Dante's. Uh-huh and we had all kind of people coming in all the time to see the band and uh, Kenny and I kind of hooked up again and pretty soon they needed a musical director and they had a television series and I became
0: the guy. Did they know or did he know that he could sing at that time if he was a bass player,
1: Kenny? Oh, he was
2: already singing. Yeah, he he was. uh, He was was in the new Christie Minstrels and then they formed the first, the first edition came out of the Christie Minstrels. Mm -hmm. And so they had already, uh, they were working with uh, the Smothers Brothers, mm-hmm. who I also worked with. Right. And their manager was Ken Cragen, who became a friend. And I sort of got involved in all of mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I did some arranging for the Smothers, or the original Smothers Brothers comedy hour as well. So, and what uh, was that like? It was exciting. It was great. They were interesting guys. Oh, right? they were very super and smart, super very funny, right? smart, and, and a lot of fun, and on the edge of, show of comedy and politics and all kind of stuff. It was a pretty heady time.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what was that like? I mean, you know, they, they were censored a lot on. Well, TV, Well, they right? were
2: censored finally off TV. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, CBS just dumped them. Yeah, and they were the number one show in the country, and they dumped them. Oh my God, that was pressure from the Nixon White House. Oh. Wow. So that's very interesting. And uh, yeah. I mean, I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mason Williams was one of the writers uh-huh. on the show and, yeah. and Steve Martin was a writer on the wow. show. This was amazing. Yeah. Looking back now, I go, my God, I was right in the middle of all kind of stuff like that. So it's pretty
0: exciting. And did that lead to other things? Like you work with Jackson, right? Michael well, Jackson.
2: yeah, the, the Jackson thing came a few, few years later. I was still doing some stuff with Kenny and a lot of stuff in the studio. Right. But I'd forgotten what TV show I did, but uh, the the director was a guy named Marty Pacetta who used, after that, directed the Oscar shows. Oh, yeah. And the Jacksons were guests on it, and they were gonna have a a show in Vegas. It was Mm -hmm. gonna be their first show, and they needed a musical director and an arranger, Right, and he suggested me, and so I met him, and we hit it off, and I started writing for them, and conducted their uh, show at the MGM Grand and their little sister, Janet, was mm-hmm. seven years old, oh, and I was conducting the first night she was on stage. So Very first night? Ever. Yeah. What yeah. was that like? It was great. Of course, I was busy conducting. Yeah, and you never you were actually <laughs> working. <Yeah. laughs> was like, oh. So,
0: oh, is there somebody out there? Oh, yeah. And was she great then? Oh, at yeah. Seven? Oh, she was in Seven. Yeah. That's and Michael would have been how old about? Well,
2: that Michael time. was 16 or 17 yeah. about that time.
0: And was and, already very well polished. I would oh yeah,
2: he's uh, he was an amazingly smart mm-hmm. guy. I mean, and the whole group was. I, mm-hmm. I love working with them. They were very professional, and uh, they they took everything very seriously. But they were still kids too. Right. So we would mm-hmm. hang out and. Tito and I flew model airplanes, you know. So <laughs> we had all kind of fun stuff like that. Which is but. your
0: other love, and we'll get into. Oh, that. Oh yes, yeah, I'm, a, I'm still. The, a, you you ran air shows and. Yep. I well, maybe this a, is as good as a time as any. I yeah. mean, just because you have this long history as a as a musician, then as a pilot, mm-hmm. and then your next career, what you're doing now, is art. So what was the whole Flying thing. I mean, you ran air shows, right?
2: Well, yeah. I again, as I said, I I uh, grew up in love with airplanes, and when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fighter pilot.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's about twelve years old, and I found out because of my eyes. There's no way I can fly in the military. Right. So by that time, I had kind of put that energy into music, so that was cool. But I remember in L.A., it like I said, it was really hard. I mean, I was literally hungry a lot of for me to have. Uh, the rent and a phone and a car at the same time was <laughs> unheard of. <laughs> I just used like, would have my choice of two, right. you know, so. I remember I was about ready to say, you oh, know, hell with it all and go back to college and get my degree. Right. And I remember one night just making a, a deal with myself. I said, look, you always wanted to be a pilot. Right why don't you stick it out one more year, Mm -hmm. and if you don't make it, go back and get your degree, but if you do make it, get your your pilot's license. So, a few months later, I was working with the first edition, and Mm -hmm. we had some hit records, and I was doing well, I was driving by Santa Monica Airport, and I saw the sign up, and it said, learn to fly, my car just by itself pulled into, you know, so. I walk in and I'm a rock star now with you know, I have hair down to my shoulders and right. pink sunglasses. And I walked in and said, <laughs>
0: And you're working with the first edition, yeah, things.
2: exactly. So I walked in and the chief instructor was there and I said, I want to learn to fly. And he said, right. it Looks like you're flying already, baby. And I went, Oh, this will be harder. Than that. <laughs> but I got my license and flew for years, yeah. And, and it was
0: a that was your treat for making it as a musician, absolutely, yeah.
2: And exactly. something I just had to get my
0: pilot's license, or my life wouldn't have been complete. Yeah, isn't that interesting how that works? Yeah, I feel that way about writing, I don't know why.
2: Yeah, there's things that you're just supposed to do. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how important it is to anyone else. That's if right. it's that important to me, you have to do yeah. it. Yeah, and was that relatively easy to learn how to fly? It it wasn't as easy as I thought it was. Uh-huh. Uh, I kind of tricked myself, because I'm sort of a, a, a cornucopia of useless aviation knowledge. Yeah. I figured that would translate into my flying skills. I went, oh, this is harder than I thought. You Knowledge know?
0: is more than that. You
2: gotta have skill set, yeah, right? And you have to practice. I yeah, should have yeah. known that as a musician. But no, I finally got to where I felt really comfortable and I flew gliders and uh, got a multi-engine rating and wow. then I got into aerobatics. And uh, I remember flying out to Mojave airport one day. Uh, pilots have a thing called $200 hamburgers. Mm-hmm. You go rent a plane, fly out to some little airport, eat a hamburger, and fly back.
0: And <laughs> it's like 200 it, bucks for it's lunch. Just, it's just a, the, the doing the flying. Right? Yeah,
2: because you the, want to do your cross-country. Yeah. You know, and you need a goal. The goal's the hamburger. Absolutely. You know. So I landed at Mojave Airport, and I was looking around. And uh, there was this hangar open, and I saw this insane-looking blue airplane. Right. It, it looked like a giant surfboard. And I couldn't figure out what it was and so I just walked in the hangar and this is kind of long lanky a pilot walked over and introduced himself and it was Dick Rutan mm-hmm. and the airplane was the Voyager that, oh, uh, that his brother Burt designed and he uh-huh. and Gina Yeager flew it around the world had they flown it at that point no they were still in the process of building it right. so I got excited about it and I'm used sure. to go out and help and then they asked me to come, uh, do some of the PR work, and then I wrote a symphony piece for them for the New American Orchestra that Scott Carpenter, the astronaut, wow. did the narration for that John Stewart wrote. Oh, so, wow. And so, I, uh, because of me being on television or radio during the two weeks that they were in the air, right. uh, a couple of air shows called me up and asked if I would like to announce. Right. And for me that was a dream come true yeah. too. I went wow, the best seat in the house,
0: you know. Right. So. And you're still making music.
2: Oh yeah, I'm yeah. still writing and, and doing all that, effective. but then on the weekends I would go out and do my air shows. Yeah.
0: And which was more fun? If you maybe you can't even correlate to fun, but it seems like there's to me writing music, being a conductor and then doing a production where you're talking about the airplanes as two different skill sets, were they equally fun? Well, yeah, I I never
2: thought of it like that because I just, I was winging it the whole time. You know, when you're announcing an air show, you don't have a script. Right. And I went, well, I started playing jazz years ago and you learn to improvise, and years later when I was composing, I realized that composing is impro- improvising just a whole lot slower. Right. So for me, I just had the same kind of mindset. I kind of knew who was going to be flying and what they were going to be flying, and I would just.
0: And you just let the beat of the airplanes and the, yeah. and the crowd kind of tell you what to say and how to say it. Yeah, and... I just kind of played along with uh-huh. it. And
2: uh, that was a very exciting time. Got to fly with some really good pilots, oh, like uh, Patty Wagstaff and uh-huh. Sean Tucker and Wayne Hanley. A lot of the shows, we had the Blue Angels, and so yeah. that's pretty cool stuff. And, and for a guy who wanted to be a fighter pilot. Right. This did you ever get co- to go
0: up in any of those things? Never
2: got a chance to fly uh, with uh, any of the jets, but I flew yeah. with all of the aerobatic uh, uh, pilots and flew in their airplanes. Oh my and God. That was cool.
0: Yeah. Did, that, did, I can't even imagine doing those kind of loops and things.
2: Well, you get used to
0: them to the G's? And yeah,
2: the... I, I went through a, a school at uh, Santa Paula Airport called the, uh, what was it called, the Pit Stop. Mm-hmm. Cause they had Pit Special, that's a right. little biplane. right And I know the, the first hour, I'd never been so sick in my life. I was thinking of things <laughs> that I had for lunch in the third grade. <laughs> you know So after that, you get used to it, you build uh-huh. up your tolerance and you have to, as you know from your Navy experience, you have to like, you know, have to tighten your yeah, stomach and yeah. keep the blood from coming in. Yeah. yeah. And so I, figured just, out how to do that. I just got so tired of doing that, that at the bottom of one of the loops, my instructor <laughs> was sitting behind me, I decided not to tighten my stomach. Yeah. And he just saw my head slide to the side <laughs> of the canopy and I popped my head up and I remember him saying, did you enjoy your nap? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, and for those who don't know, well, you're pulling Gs, so yeah. you've got to increase your pressure to your brain. And yeah, because all the
2: blood leaves yeah. your brain and, and you're right. taking a nap. Yeah, Why it's do you called like Valsalva it
0: Maneuver, and yeah. It, yeah, it does, you took a little nap. Yeah. Not always the best thing to yeah, do. Yeah, we
2: call it G-Lock, <laughs> G-Loss of Consciousness. Yeah, that's right.
0: That's exactly what that yeah, is. So. so you did aerobatics, which is super dangerous, right? I mean, that is like one of the more dangerous sports well, out it, there, I, right? It's I, I was pretty well trained, yeah. and I made sure I had I bet, a lot you know, of altitude. A few, though, a few pilots that have died. About I, I lost some dear friends yeah, in right? air
2: shows. I lost way too many friends. Yeah. In fact, like I won't go to an air show now. Yeah, I understand that. It's just
0: you know, it just brings back bad memories. Yeah, no, you know? I believe it. I watched one go down. On well, an that's air right. Show and at El Toro. When, yeah, at El Toro, right in front yeah. of me. And yeah, it's, uh when you see something like that, you remember it. Oh yeah. I haven't gone to one since either. Yeah, same thing. I mean, you're you're
2: having a beer with somebody, and the next day they're no longer here. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: So, yeah. Well, on that (laughs) happy happy note, note, one of the things I found very interesting and um, is that you had a great hit song, one of my favorites. Yes. And um, Wildfire. Wildfire. And just kind of tell me, what's that like to have like a real hit? That's like a major hit. Well, I have to go in the history of it.
2: One of the first uh, groups that I wrote for when I got to Hollywood was the the Letterman. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys, Tony Butala, had a guy that he worked with his publishing company called Bob Todd. Mm -hmm. And Bob Todd, uh, they split up for some reason, and Bob started working at Screen Mm Gems. And one day he called me up and said, listen, would you like to come over? We're looking for writers. And it was a hundred bucks a week, and you just wrote whatever you felt like. And right. boy, a hundred bucks a week at that time. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I am
0: cooking now. What year would that have
2: been? Oh marking? man, about 66, yeah. 67, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. One of the first uh, people I met there was uh, a guy in, uh, named Michael Martin Murphy. Mm whose real name was Travis. No, I'm sorry, that's his real name. Uh, uh, his stage name was Travis Lewis. At that time. Yeah, right. because he uh-huh. had, he was in a group called the Lewis and Clark Expedition.
0: <laughs> so hard. everybody had to yeah, have a name. Right, so anyway, that was his hook.
2: So that was first day there, and Murph and I found out that we'd both gone to North Texas. We became friends, started writing. And we wrote around the clock. I mean, he <laughs> would, he had a camper that he would bring and park in front of my house. And we would just write you know, for days. And uh, one of the songs we wrote during that period was uh, Wildfire. Mm -hmm. And uh, shortly after that, we wrote a uh, rock opera called The Ballad of Calico, Mm -hmm. that we wrote for Kenny Rogers in the first edition. So we did a bunch of stuff together. And uh, I recorded uh, a demo for Warner Brothers Mm and Wildfire, which didn't do anything, says a lot about my singing. And mm-hmm. so I didn't even think about it. And right. about five years later, Murph calls me up and he's at Caribou Ranch in Colorado. Right. And he said, we're getting ready to record wildfires." I said, oh, you're kidding, man, that's great. So he sent me a copy of it a few weeks later I thought they really did an excellent job on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden it started getting some airplay. And I remember I was driving on the San Diego freeway, hitting, I was living at Palos Verdes mm-hmm. at the time, and it was on KHJ, what at the time, was the top you know, right. t- top 40 uh, big hit station in L.A. And if you were on there, you knew you had a hit. Right. So I'm driving along the freeway, and all of a sudden I hear it come on, I'm like, oh my God. And as I'm listening to it, I look over next to me, and there's a carload of teenage girls. Right. And I saw them together, mouthing the word wildfire. And I will <laughs> never forget that power. I, I felt like, oh, this is a hit.
0: Yeah, and it had been many years since you wrote it, so. It was oh yeah, completely. and you thought about the song. Right. Yeah, so it's funny how those things happen. Well, I have to laugh, because we like to listen to uh, a radio station that plays some of the 70s songs. and. About uh, once a, every couple of days, they play that song. And, mm-hmm. and your famous line is, I love it. And we all say it in the gallery, Larry just made five cents. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed.
2: It, 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 it added up over the years, thank goodness. But uh, Yeah.
0: And so, but the music industry really changed, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you were killing it doing uh, songs like this and mm-hmm. you did, like you were doing a lot of commercials too, right? Oh, I did a ton of commercials. I mean, yeah. you did some that were airing on Monday Night Football, right? Like, yep, we tell, had tell one them. time on, uh, that's back when the
2: uh, those commercials were 30 seconds long, now they're 15s. Right. And uh, my partner and I, Don Pystrip, we were watching Monday Night Football. This was back when Dandy Don and Howard Co. said, so this right. was like the this show. This is everybody watches. Yeah, this was the only, it was the I mean, go-to was show, right? you know. So at the end of the first commercial break, we had the last two. And we we're going, wow, that was cool. And right. the next commercial break, we had all four. All four. Yeah. And they were like American Airlines, Ford, Chevy, Pepsi, right. Cook, uh, McDonald's. I mean, you know. Right. And you would do the jingle, right? Yeah, we would write the jingles. And, and I have one that's still out there. The, yeah. I, along with Wildfire, I co-wrote the In-N-Out Burger song. That's, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's tell us a little played. bit though, about Go ahead. Oh, well, my friend Gary White, who was the bass player in the Larry Canister Trio in Deer Park, Texas, from right. the Oregon High School, he wrote Linda Ronstadt's first hit, I Think I'm Gonna Love You for a Long, Long Time. Yeah, wow. So two-thirds man. of the Larry Canister Trio had hit number one hit records. Uh, we, uh, I think th- the agency brought the family in who owned in and out Right. They were just getting ready to franchise. Yeah. And Gary. Should have bought into that one. Oh, yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Gary, uh, uh, just a great writer and funny guy, and still has that old Texas accent, talks like cat. And uh, they came in and said, Well, we have a slogan. And Gary said, What's that? And they said, Tastes homemade. (laughs) And Gary said, I think I can do better than that. <laughs> so he wrote. He sat there on his little pad. and went, "Okay, here you go." In and out, in and out. That's what a hamburger's all about. <laughs> <laughs> so occasionally you'll walk into the In and Out Burger and you'll see that in neon. And oh, I wow. go, "I was there when I saw it written on a legal pad." Isn't that and unbelievable? Yeah, you but forget the strength of music, the power uh, that and work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All of it
0: together. Yeah. And do you get anything for no. that now? No. That's just don't even get a break on the hamburger. <laughs> 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 no, I'm
2: just a bug in the windshield when it comes to that. that you know?
0: funny. That's how it works. But it'll yeah. always be there. Yes. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think that that kind of stuff is fascinating that you. So you have this career now, very successful commercial writer. Mhm. Um, but then the music industry changes with the synthesizer, right?
2: Very much, and that, that's what really got me, because it took away the, the, the orchestra. And the, the spontaneity, now I'm really dating myself, but I'm really proud that when I did my first big sessions, we mm-hmm. still did everything live. Right. In fact, that session that you and I put together, that, that was so rare, remember, that we right. had trouble finding people who could mic it
0: live. Wow, and so the session, we'll just tell people, because it's very interesting, I learned a lot is that you and I, I don't remember if you brought, you may have brought it to me, but um, Ed Mel, who I represent mm-hmm. as an right. artist, and you love as oh, a painter, one of and my really very favorite. Yeah. you wanted to do a composition to his paintings. Exactly. I wanted to score yeah. it like a Western movie. Which you did. You yeah. did two of them. Yeah. Um, and we went out to, uh, to L.A. Capitol Records. And went to Capitol Records, which was very fascinating Yeah. To see. And you got all these old... Um, great players mm-hmm. set up and Ed came out yep. and watched the whole thing. And it was at that point watching you that I go, oh my God, I had no idea he was so good. <laughs> because, I mean, you don't know. I had no idea. I mean, watching you control that uh, group of musicians with just precise um, ability, it was awe-inspiring quite frankly oh, thank you yeah no it was really amazing and tell tell some of well, the people well, that were in that room well there were guys that I had just worked with for years yeah.
2: you know uh, 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 Harvey Mason the drummer right you know worked with everybody you know right. and I uh, see Chuck Berghoffer for years was a Sinatra's bass player I mean the, right. just, just this level of musicianship the thing that I think I, uh, there's two things that would always make me tear up. And if I was doing a uh, variety television mm. show and I've, I've got a headset on I can, so I can hear the cues from the booth right, <clears throat> and then also hear the orchestra as well, but you'd be standing there and you'd hear the director, you know, giving all the commands to the, uh, you know, all the cameras to roll in and everything and mm-hmm. get ready for action. And then every time they would stay, say, "standby by music, I would, just, I would just be all goosebumps. And they'd go, cue music, and I would give a downbeat for a temp- right. tempo, And I, it never failed to just blow me away. And then doing movie why scores. is that?
0: Is it because of the music that was playing? That, just because I wanted to do it so much,
2: and I thought, and it is, you cannot believe how exciting it is. And the same thing, even more exciting, is doing a movie score mm-hmm. where you've got the orchestra in front of you, and at the back of the, the soundstage is this giant screen. So you're watching the movie as you're conducting, but you're hearing the music that you just wrote, played by the finest musicians on the
0: planet. And that's really where you, you got the idea for the Ed Mel, yeah. was having done movies. Basically, that you could we see. miniaturized
2: yeah. a movie score you session. You see for his that.
0: paintings and those inspiring you to, do, right. to make music. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to play some of that music on this podcast at the beginning Excellent. and on the end. Good. And uh, Larry and I still sell the CDs. There the, you go. They're like 15 bucks with the images and yep. the music. And we're thinking about 2040, we might break even. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we'll we're, we're chipping away at it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> Thank God we enjoyed doing it. <laughs> it was fascinating. It was really fun. Oh, it fun. was fun for me. And. Uh, I just sort of had a sense that we wouldn't be doing, not necessarily you and I, but there that kind of scoring is, is pretty much not done yeah. in L anymore. And, uh, once the multi-tracking came in, mm-hmm. it became so much easier to separate everything mm-hmm. and do what we call a click track, mm-hmm. which is basically a digital metronome that musicians hear in their ear, uh, and there's no tone to it, so it doesn't throw their ear off, but mm-hmm. it's like Mm-hmm. You know, sure and, that was and, good on radio. Yeah, I'm sure we just blew that. Yeah. But uh, they're listening to that sort of thing, so everything is in sync. So you might walk in and here's the woodwind players just sitting there, just playing their part. Oh, I see. But no one's—they're not all there together. Oh. And now it sounds great. And from an engineering standpoint, mm-hmm. it is great because you have the separation and you can oh, mix see. it and make uh-huh. it clean. But from a music, musical standpoint, it was it was just so sterile to me because I love the idea of everybody being there.
0: Yeah, you no. know, it, and they, and there is something about them feeding off each other. Oh, I of think, course, right? Yeah, yeah. And the pressure. Yeah, that's you right.
2: don't want to be the guy or girl who blows a seven-minute take right. with thirty seconds to go. Right. With Which 50 happens? I'm Fifty sure. of your best friends right yeah. next to
0: you, <laughs> going. You got because you're again. only
2: you only do that a couple of times, and all of a sudden the phone stop stops right. ringing. At least it used to be that way. So it, I I miss that. Uh, the, the, there was an adrenaline
0: rush mm. that always. Uh, it, I could see it. Yeah, because you went to a different place when you were directing. Oh yeah. yeah. Well,
2: you you become a part of it. To me, the right. orchestra was always just a giant uh, instrument. Mm. It is. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, and you're the and I love uh,
2: sitting at home and writing the score out. That was always fun because I knew what it was going to sound like.
0: Right now, you have written just zillions of songs. I've watched you. I've actually worked with you. We've mm. even done our own little song, um, which I'm still waiting to. Oh yes. Get my royalties on. Yeah, that's true. Um, so am I. I. I guess we'll have
2: to record it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah. <It's laughs> not doing yeah, anything, sitting on the, the piano. If, if anybody wants it, we, we have it available. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah. Composition and, and writing music mm-hmm. is very similar to painting, Absolutely. in your mind, for sure, because now, yeah. that's the other part I really want to go into, is the next part of your life, which is as an artist. And you've done the painting, you've done the flying, um, you've done a lot of things, but somehow you've come back now as an artist. And, and you're a very good artist. Thank you're, you. Yeah, and, uh, it's uh, uh, to watch the progression you've made is really fun to see. But how, tell people how composition and, and writing music is similar to painting. Well to me you can break it down into little uh,
2: sections and I would say basically uh, concept, mm-hmm. uh, form, uh, color which would be orchestration, mm-hmm. and execution. So, if you broke it down like that, so when I would write a piece of music, I would my first thought would be, what kind of mood do I want to create? Mm-hmm. You know, and that would kind of determine the type of ensemble, or the size of it. It's, of course, the budget had a lot to do with that too. Right. But Same my with first painting though, right? I mean, big canvas, small canvas. Well, exactly. Right. yeah, and what do I want to create? Uh, right. you know, so. Then once I think of, you know, in music, uh, like I say, I'm gonna come up with, you know, with emotion, feeling, that sort of thing. Okay, what is the form of that? Well, it's gonna be how many minutes long? There's gonna Mm -hmm. be an interesting, exciting section to start then maybe a sort of a melancholy and Mm -hmm. then a big finale or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. In a painting, I'm basically, am I gonna create a a mountain scene or a Mm -hmm. sunset? I love to paint clouds, as you know, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so how do I go about it? How do I arrange the clouds, whatever, you know, whatever. And, and when it comes to color and music, that's the orchestration. Do I use woodwinds, do I use brass, mm-hmm. do I use whatever? Well, the, the palette on, on my, uh, uh, you know, on my painting. Mm-hmm. Do, do I want warm, do I want uh, a cool setting? And have you and thought
0: about this before you put the first uh, brush to canvas? Uh, uh, kind of loosely. Yeah
2: yeah and I'm learning more and more uh, as I'm painting to make my uh, uh my sketch on on the canvas itself more and more detailed mm-hmm. all the time because I would find myself getting into to trouble mm. I'd paint my liver to paint myself into corners and have no way to get it out of it so
0: And you could do that in music as well? Well,
2: yeah, because my sketches in music are very, very detailed. Right. And then when I go to orchestrate, I I would write a four-staff sketch. I would Mm -hmm. start with a two-staff that looked like I wrote it with my feet Mm because I'm writing so damn fast Mm -hmm. because I'm just trying to, well, you've seen me, right? I I go at the speed of light. Right. And so no one can read that first sketch because it's just this crazy, insane person wrote it down. So now I break it down into what would look like a master piano part and then I put it up on the score pad, and you see my my mm-hmm. scores—they're like what right. three feet tall right. sometimes, right. with like you know how many steps on. There. Right. So when I'm uh, I kind of use that concept when I'm, I'm making a painting. Now I'll I'll make some sketches on a sketch pad, then I'll block it on my canvas, mm-hmm. and then get more and more into the detail. Forever start putting the colors in, mm. and then learning from people like Ed and some of the great people that that you've introduced me to. Mm-hmm. I start blocking in my tones, my darks, my lights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so and which to you, me, it's
0: very similar. Do you find one harder or easier than the other?
2: Well, for me, music is easy because I've been doing it for. I started writing when I was about fourteen. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's like riding a bike. Right. You know. So now I'm I, I'm happy to say that I'm still learning as a, as a painter, and I'm I, I remember in music, especially at North Texas, where I would pass something out to a band, and it would just be so god-awful, I'm trying to find a place to hide. But right. all of a sudden, maybe four bars worked. I went, whoa, what did I Go do ahead. there? <laughs> so make a note of that, that worked. Right, and you so, knew that
0: when they played it.
2: Yeah, well, no, I knew it when I'd hear it. I yeah, thought it was right. gonna work, yeah. you know, and then when it did, oh man, that really worked. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So I think over the years you just start building up this database right. of things you know that work. Right. So now I'm starting to see that happen. I, I've told you this now and then. I'm starting to uh, uh, see what I thought I was going to see when I started.
0: Right. Paint Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. And so not all the time, and but I I, I keep you know pushing because I've always felt. That in music and now I feel that, uh, as a painter that if, if it
0: doesn't scare you you're not doing it right. You have to yeah. just
2: keep pushing
0: so. Uh, and have you gotten to that point where you go oh this isn't any good scrape
2: oh, all the time. Yes, yeah.
0: oh constantly.
2: I'm getting, I, I'm throwing less away so that's good. Yeah
0: and I think for artists out there and musicians or writers, whatever, you have to be able to scrape. I mean, I know oh, as, absolutely. A, as a writer, I know that you can always make more words. Don't yeah. fall in love with... Something you've oh, written yeah. because it may just be you are in love with it it really doesn't
1: work. For well, you know, you can store. get
2: into where you, you're almost hypnotized what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll sit there and go, is this melody working or what? Right. And you talk about model airplanes. I've always got a model out in the garage. Yeah. So I get to a point in writing where I close the piano lid, go out and play with an airplane for half an hour, or work on a wing or something. Right. Come back in, sit down, and play the melody, and I can tell you in a
0: nanosecond whether it's working yeah. or not. You know yeah. why I think that is? Is you let your subconscious do all the work. Exactly. Why you're doing, you know, some a task that's more rote, and your mind's yeah. working, but you're focused elsewhere. Yeah. You're completely clearing your head. Yeah, and I think you can do that when you're sleeping too. I do that. Oh yeah. You know, especially if I'm writing a novel, I'm really into it. Um, I just I put it down at night. I think about I, the novel as I fall asleep, mm-hmm. and then the next day it's just there. Your brain oh, yeah. has worked it out, and I think that's good for not only writing and music, but art too. If you're out there oh, making art, yeah. you know, and you hit a block, yep, you know, do something else, come back to it, yeah. And um, one of the things I've heard over and over from artists, and you, you probably can maybe voice the same thing, is that you can't wait for inspiration.
2: Oh right. no, no. Uh, I I, uh, I think I've told you this, one of my musical heroes was uh, is uh, Igor Stravinsky, mm. and I found out when I was studying composition with Dr. Adler that Stravinsky was a 9 to 5 writer. Mm. He got up in the morning and had his breakfast, sat down yep. and wrote till noon, right. had lunch, took a nap, yep. you know, and woke up and wrote till about 5 and closed the lid. Yeah. And the reason was that you didn't wait to be inspired. It's a job. Right. And I did that. The whole time I was writing. Right. And now I work, uh, uh, when I'm painting, I do the same
0: thing. Yeah. And it's not to say you can't be inspired when you're in oh, that nine to five, and hopefully right. you are. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's points in time you go, oh my God, that's just fantastic. I'm so happy with that. Um, and other times you're at a loss for what to do. But mm-hmm. I think it is important for people to realize uh, that if they're going to be an artist of any type, don't wait for inspiration. Oh, no. No, yeah. you can't.
2: That thunderbolt doesn't even know you're around. Yeah. You know. No, and if you think it what is,
0: what you're wrong. To, uh, uh,
2: like you say, uh, thinking of it as a profession. hmm it, it, it doesn't necessarily become rote, but you don't have to reinvent yourself constantly. Right. You've got the energy, and you've got the rhythm, your own personal rhythm in, right. in doing it. And, uh, um now I'll do the same thing you do uh, uh, when I uh, wake up in the morning. First thing I do is go in there and, f- and flip the light on the easel and look at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can tell you if it's working or not. And if it's not, n- I now know how to correct it. Before I just go, oh, the hell with it, and just start another one. Right. But now <laughs> I go, no, you need to put some contrast in the clouds
0: right. or whatever. You know. You've, right. You've got it. You and, know. And just for people who might not know, you're doing. Your your main thing is landscapes, uh, yeah. and yeah, things that you've experienced a lot. Almost you're not doing plein air really. No, I don't. Uh, uh,
2: I don't like to do plein air, which probably would have, a lot of other artists would disagree. In fact, I don't like to call myself an artist, but that's another story. Have you uh, sold paintings? Yes, then you're an artist. Thank you. Uh, but plein air to me, I don't like to paint fast because mm-hmm. I had to write so fast in the studios. Right. And even when I do workshops, uh, it's like I learned so much from the instructor, but I had to paint that fast for me. It's like, no, it's not what right.
0: I, you know. Well, you have to learn your speed. Exactly. You know, and I think all good artists do this. I've gone out painting, not me painting, but me doing photography and watching my artists paint. And it's very interesting that they all have their own rhythms. It's oh yeah. Somebody, one, you know, if you go with Terry and John Moyer's painting, you know, John will knock out two by the time Terry does. And it's just the way, t- John's works. Yeah, you know they're both equally great. Terry's always going, "Wow, I wish I could do two that fast." Mm-hmm. But when you look at them, they're uh, they're different. He's much looser. She's much tighter and more mm-hmm. literal. They're fantastic. But the reality is that you have your own speed of whatever right. it is, and don't you know, I, you know? If you're trying to go, I can't do enough. But, you know, it's really irritating. And I see this for certain artists that. I ha- I'd literally categorize them. You know, this guy's slow. This guy's fast. This mm-hmm. guy's ultra fast. And, yeah. I, and you know, and I have to learn what their rhythm is and expect that as a dealer. That I'm only going to get so much. Exactly. From, yeah. I know. can see that. Yeah, and that's okay. Uh, you shouldn't. D- you need to know that going in. Right. And that's a good thing. I think if you work with a dealer uh, as an artist, that you let them know. Okay, I'm not the fastest, mm-hmm. but I'm consistent. And right. As a dealer, I really care. You about, know what you And I care about more about consistency than numbers. Of I work the best. Right. But, and not all dealers are like that. Now, so you've become an artist, you're selling art mm-hmm. online, and, right. and so tell people about that process because you started from ground zero, right. not really knowing anything, to how did you get to that point where now you're making actual sales and doing pretty well, I think.
2: Well, uh, thank you. Yeah, No one's more surprised than I am. Yeah. But uh, it's... it's
0: <laughs> no, your wife is. Like,
2: well, <laughs> it's funny because I kept thinking when I got into art, I said, well, I'm going to take another perfectly good hobby and screw it up and try to make money with it. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, I'm on uh, Artspan.com uh-huh. right. and SachiArt.com. Right. And I'm just getting ready to fire up uh, larrycancellor.com again and start putting my paintings. And in will
0: there. your music be available there too as well? Uh, do I don't there? know. No,
2: probably not. Yeah. You know, we can do our Ed Mel thing. Or, right, <laughs> put, yeah, that put that in. up there. We you bet. Please. Yeah.
0: I want my fifteen-dollar cut.
2: It, you got it. Uh, one thing interesting: uh, the whole time I was active in the studios, I couldn't listen to music.
0: That is very interesting.
2: Because when Lynn and I were first together. Uh, we went to a party, and it was all studio musicians, right. and she went, there's no music here. I said, we hear music all day long. We are so tired of it. Right. And we, it's not that we didn't care. It's that musicians, uh, first of all, as a composer, there's no such thing as background music. Mm-hmm. Your ear is right there. Right. And because you're, you're trained to listen analytically,
1: mm. you know, so. Yeah, it's different like yeah, watching so you a get, movie
0: if you're a director or producer oh, or you, yeah. you look at it and you go oh my gosh he missed the beat yeah bah. yeah musicians will go didn't anyone tell the clarinet player to tune
2: up right I mean that sort of thing right. you know which my wife is thrilled when people like that but now that I'm painting I find that I play music and I enjoy it
0: and is it background music in the sense or is it no I'm still listening with, uh,
2: analytically uh, yeah but it's it's fun a, a lot of people that are friends of mine like uh you know foreplay and, and groups like that right uh, I and mean, people i worked with you know my favorite composer now is dave Gruson, and i remember him back from the studio days and so but i find that i really i, I really just have a good time hearing music when i'm uh, you think right. it
0: helps you paint Oh, I think it does. Because I know a lot of artists that have to have music on or noise or something and it does actually help them you know come to, to be able to. to I do think
2: it, it would help uh, for many reasons, but one was it blocks out everything else. and yeah. we were so inundated by the news and media right. that you know when I go up in, in my little front room there in the house, Close the door, turn the music right. on, and paint. I'm in another world. Right. You
0: know. Yeah. When I write, I like to have music on, but it, I want it to be blues or jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It helps. I think you're right. I think it blocks other things out. Oh yeah. And I, I cannot can. put on songs that I really like. Right. Because it takes me out of the mode of writing.
2: Well, and I would think writing the way you do, hearing lyrics, would throw your head off a little bit. Yeah, it could.
0: You're hearing words, and I go, whoa, whoa, yeah, hang yeah. on. Though occasionally I will incorporate a song, not occasionally, in fact do it kind of regularly, a song into the plot twist or in part of it, and if I listen to it over and over and over again, the song, it really does put me on a path that I go, oh, and and so when I'm writing, Mm -hmm. at that point I don't listen to the music so much, but I can hear it in my head in the background as I write the scene. I can see that, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think these interdisciplines are important, and people... Should maybe, if you're an artist or beginning artist, you know, embrace some of these things. Yeah,
2: you should experiment, experiment and find what what works for you. I know when I'm painting clouds, uh, I'm back in my glider pilot days.
1: Mm, going through them?
2: Yeah, I'm uh, around them. You don't want yeah. to go through them in a glider. The <laughs> so last oh, thing yeah. you do, okay. <laughs> you'd be on the six o'clock noon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy who wrote the In and Out Burger Zone. <laughs> but, uh, no I uh, because uh, especially as uh, flying gliders your your power is uh, finding air that's going up faster than you're going down gliders are always going down I see yeah, so you I have agree. to find rising air so right. you watch how the clouds are being formed around you right so when I'm painting them now uh, I paint them from the inside out I paint them sort of a dark gray and they work my way out to, to oh. lighten them up. But I also am, am trying to see where the energy level is and how they peak and all that sort right. of thing. that so, gives you a
0: huge advantage, in my opinion, as a artist, that you have been in these and understand them.
2: You know what clouds do look right. like, and they do have a certain form. That, right. Uh, I mean, they're not. I mean, every cloud is totally, I mean, there's not. Uh, there's never two that's ever been exactly right. the same. But the form and the, and the things that make them happen are pretty similar. And that's what you're looking for as a glider pilot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when I'm painting now, I'm, I'm able, to, if there's a mountain ridge on the right side of my uh, canvas, mm. I can kind of visualize where the wind's coming from mm. and how there might be some turbulence downwind right. or some high cirrus up right. there that would form it and that sort of thing.
0: And so. that allows you to build the cloud imagery as you know it should be. Absolutely. You know, and that's, it's funny, as an art dealer, I look at clouds, mm-hmm. very important. I can tell if somebody's a, a really great painter. Jeff Ailing, Jeff Ailing, Pete Nails Nesbitt, yeah. you know, Ed Mel. Yeah, oh, Ed, know. absolutely, yeah. and Ray
2: Roberts, Ray I Roberts. mean, and, uh, and I love the Dennis Zeminski. guys. The list
0: goes on and on, Yeah. and part of that, and these are all, the people you mentioned are all artists in my gallery, Right. Um, but one of the reasons that, when I see somebody who can paint a cloud, there's ju- to me that it means you can paint cloud water hands those are things that i see mm-hmm. that i recognize as being a skill set that you can fake the rest but you can't fake those mm-hmm. and i hadn't thought about why it is so but i'm sure that they do they they whether they do it innately or like yourself actually understand the dy- the dynamics of the of clouds they're using that skill set knowing mm-hmm. that oh there wouldn't be this kind of cloud or this kind of formation right and so have you ever just painted just clouds, nothing else?
2: I've got a couple that I have yeah. and I find that I need a horizon uh, as sort of visual base. Yeah. But it's interesting you mention that cuz I'm thinking very soon of doing some more just from the uh, just from the perspective of clouds themselves. Yeah,
0: I think that would be very interesting and something else you might try um, which I'd love to see is painting them from above looking down. Yeah. I don't know of anybody who really does that, honestly. Some of
2: the people who do some of the great aviation illustration, oh, yeah, do. I don't handle but it. But there's are, but there's always an airplane in there. I've yeah. never seen one where there's, but I'm sure there are some where there's just clouds and, and I would think a hint that would work in a
0: great big format too. Well, like I would huge think huge any good
2: cloud thing yeah. uh, uh, has got to be a fairly good size yeah. uh, canvas, you know.
0: So what's next for Larry Kanzler?
2: Oh, I just want to keep learning everything. I mean, I'm constantly, uh, I've never been bored in my life. You know, if I find something I like to do within a month, I've got $600 worth of books. (laughs) My poor wife goes, oh God, now what's he into, you know? (laughs)
0: Well, she, mm-hmm. I think Lynn, your wife, mm-hmm. is, is great because she does support you, just like my wife <laughs> You're right. That. It's important to have those people that oh, will... Oh, she's my biggest fan. Yeah, that will back you. Yeah. And um, without those kind of support systems, it makes it much harder.
2: Oh, a- absolutely. Yeah, very fortunate. so are you. Yeah, yeah no, yeah.
0: absolutely. That's why I can sit here and not sell art. I can just sit here and talk about there, it, which I yeah. find to be very... Much enjoyable. Now, yep. tell me, is there anything you want to share with me, or anything we didn't cover? That, you know, that would be that, you know those deep, dark secrets that no one knows about. Not really.
2: I'm just <laughs> at a stage in my life where I think I'm I'm really reflecting a lot
0: now. And I think that's important for people to realize is that you hit a, you know I won't give your age because you look so young, but you're getting a little bit older. You know, does that change things when you get to an age like over 70?
2: Yeah, it it does, and not necessarily in a bad way. I decided once to uh, make a list of all the bad decisions I had made.
1: Wow.
2: A few weeks later, I decided it'd be a lot easier to make a list of the good decisions (laughs) that I made. I could do that in about 20 minutes, you know. But I've been pretty critical of myself and uh, things that I've... uh, uh, things I think I could have done better. Yeah. But uh, I think all in all, I think I've just tried to experience as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And I I do I do I'm my own biggest critic, as you know. And uh, but I I think I just want to just keep going and keep learning. I think if when you stop learning, right. man, just
0: forget it. It's all over. So did you make that list of the things that were? I like ran out of paper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At some point, you realize this is actually one of the things. So yeah, a that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that
2: was my biggest mistake: <laughs> was, was going into this it. stupid list.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think there is something to be said for retrospective and looking back, oh, yeah. and um, you know, trying to maybe not make certain turns that you did. But I know for me, I just go. Hey, if it was a mistake or if it was something that didn't work out, I don't worry about it. I never think about those kind of things. You can't relive them. No, you're, you can't change them. The only thing you can change is the future. And exactly. You, ha- and, you know, and you focus in on, on that. And for individuals, and I see this in art, art too. And you're a great example, in my opinion, of somebody who, who's really doing something special as an artist uh, in the last quarter of their life. Um, and can make it for fun if they want, which mm-hmm. I think kind of maybe started out that way when then you realize, hey, wow, it's good enough that this is actually, I can be in galleries, which you, you know, if you're not there yet, Larry's available to be in a gallery. And he's good enough, I can assure you, you are good enough to, s- to be in any good gallery. And um, But not to be afraid to try something new creatively. Oh,
2: ab- abs- absolutely. You know? uh,
0: because you could still be writing music and, and being very successful at it if you wanted, but you've really just kind of moved to an, another plane, right?
2: Yeah, my heart really wasn't in it after the orchestras died out, Yeah, because I'm still an orchestra guy. Yeah. You know? I mean, you, you've seen me, I'll sit at the piano, have a glass of wine and play the jazz ballads, mm-hmm. but that's about all the music I'm writing now. Right. Uh, but my goal is, uh, now is to really just uh, uh, just paint because I think I've been sort of given another uh, chance to learn something new. Mm. And it really is very satisfying. It's frustrating too, but that's a part of the game. Right. You know.
0: And keep doing it, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's really the biggest part It's just do it. I mean, there's so many things that you can only learn so much out of like a workshop or mm. a book. You know, playing the piano, flying airplanes, painting—you can only read so much. At a certain right. point, you got to put your butt in the seat and do it. Right. You know, and that's what I'm doing now. I stand in front of an
0: easel all day long and uh, right, do it. Yeah, exactly. Nike had a, had something there. I yeah, think. I think and so. And it's true. If you don't do it, you're not gonna you're not gonna know. And it's okay to fail.
2: It's not only is it okay to fail. I think it's very important to fail. I agree. Because learn in from music, mistakes. I learned more from, uh, like I said, there were times I wanted to crawl away from an orchestra that was so awful what I just heard. Right. You know, But the only way you can do it, you've got to get back there and just keep doing it. Yeah. You know, and then pretty soon it starts to work. Yeah. And then you become a Larry Kanzler. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that <laughs> is. I don't have a new choice, though. So. <laughs> and on that
0: note, I think we can just wrap it up and listen to the beautiful music that Larry Kanzler has provided for us. Thank you, Larry, for being here. My pleasure, thank you. And I'm looking forward to seeing your next painting. So am I. All right. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Larry Cancer, thank you. Okay.